0: For those of you who are new here, the vision of our church is to see a gospel movement where lives radically change, families flourish, and our city prospers. Well, in our efforts to see our city prosper, our church has partnered up with Pastor uh, Tony Wang and his wife, Lin, to start a church planting movement amongst the Mandarin-speaking Chinese. Uh, Tony uh, and his family moved all the way from Florida this past summer and uh, have a desire to plant the first Mandarin-speaking church in our denomination on the entire West Coast. Why that hasn't happened already, I have no idea. But you can imagine the need that we have to reach the Mandarin-speaking here uh, on the West Coast especially here in Irvine. Uh, Tony graduated from uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. Prior to that, he uh, has a master's degree in engineering. Uh, His wife uh, teaches at San Diego State. They've got two kids, Josiah and Karis, who are seven and three. And you might be wondering, what kind of relationship will we have with uh, Grace Irvine Presbyterian Chinese Church? Well, I think the best analogy is the relationship between a mother and her unborn child. Uh, Church planters call this the incubation period. Uh, Right now, Tony and his wife are gathering a core group by networking, casting vision, in hopes that sometime next year, they will be healthy and mature enough to worship on their own as a separate church. Until then, they and their core group will be worshiping with us, and we will be incubating them uh, in the meantime. And so it's my prayer uh, that when you see them, that you would extend them a warm welcome, that we would be a good mother uh, to this fledgling church plant, and our hope is to birth uh, another church here in Irvine and what a joy that would be. And so uh, I can go on and on, but uh, I'll stop there. Let's welcome Pastor Tony at this time.
1: Good morning New Life Church, Uh, my name is Tony Wang um, and it is my privilege to stand here and share with you the work that I do. Like Pastor Jeff just said, our family moved to Irvine in August after we served uh, in a Chinese uh, PCA church in Florida for the last, last six and a half years. We have been worshiping at New Life since we arrived And we are exceedingly thankful for New Life Church and for all of you here. As a true Presbyterian, my mission report has three points. (laughs) Don't fret, it's going to be very short. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the planter, the project, and the progress we have made so far. So these are the three points. First, the the planter. Like I said, my name is Tony. Tony. I was born and raised in China, and was saved by God's grace in my childhood through my parents. My journey in ministry began in my college years when I became involved with the Ministries of Campus Crusade, where I developed my, my heart and my skills for evangelism. Over those four years, I had the privilege of witnessing hundreds of college students giving their lives to Christ. Initially drawn toward full-time ministry with Crusade, I later became a member of a Reformed Presbyterian Church, an underground congregation in Nanjing, China. It felt almost like a second conversion to me, deepening my understanding of the Christian doctrines. As a former engineer, I became fascinated with the Reformed doctrines, especially covenant theology. Upon moving to Canada for graduate school, I met my wife, Lynn, at McMaster University's on-campus Bible study. Together, we served in the same ministries, reaching Chinese scholars and immigrants who had moved to Toronto and its surrounding suburbs. Seeing the fruit, came out of outreach and discipleship, we started to dream about planting a PCA Chinese church in a metropolitan city with a significant Chinese population. I attended Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando and became involved with a church plant in Fort Lauderdale in my first year of studies. The Lord has been very good to our family and our Fort Lauderdale Church in the past eight years. More than two-thirds of the church's members became believers within its walls. And many heard the gospel for the very first time in this church. As we completed ruling our training last year, Lynn and I sensed that the Lord is calling us to plant another Chinese church, this time in Irvine. Before moving to the US for theological training, I worked as an engineering manager at Procter & Gamble in Canada. Lynn had worked for Coopers for a decade and now is teaching at Diego State University. We both enjoy working with immigrant professionals and we are eager to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the Chinese immigrants here in Irvine and to serve them. Second point, the project. There are over 5 million Chinese immigrants living in the United States. Yet, there are only nine PCA Chinese churches. And there's none west of Washington, D.C. Over the years, I have been a part of a group of Chinese pastors seeking the Lord to send a church planter to the West Coast where the majority of the Chinese live. Our desire is to reach the Chinese immigrants by planting gospel-centered churches, starting in major cities. After years of prayers, we have discerned that the Lord is calling me to do two things. Number one, establishing a church planting network that unites the resources of existing churches to train and raise up church planters. This will create a gospel-centered movement aimed at reaching the Chinese community in North America through church planting. Number two, relocating to Irvine to plant the first PCA Chinese church on the West Coast by God's grace. Currently, we are experiencing a significant wave of immigration from China to the United States with many settling in cities like Irvine, where they can find networks of support and remnants of cultural familiarity. Irvine has become an attractive community for new Chinese immigrants over the last two decades. Tens of thousands of people from China have chosen Irvine to be their new home. Our desire is to plant a PCA Chinese church in the Great Park where the concentration of Chinese here is even higher than other parts of the city. I am convinced that the gospel not only saves our souls, but renews all aspects of our life. The goal is to plant a Mandarin-speaking gospel-centered church in the Great Park area, where the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and lived out. Finally, point three the progress. This past summer has mar- marked a significant chapter for our family as we made the move from Florida to California. It was a time filled with goodbyes, leaving the church, church community, community we knew so well and loved so dearly. The partings were emotional. And the process of packing and unpacking certainly weren't helping. In August, after driving over 3,000 miles, we arrived in Irvine. New Life family welcomed us. Thank you very much for the meal tray. The church also graciously provided me with an office space. I began meeting with Chinese folks in the city, eager to connect with as many people as possible. We named the church Grace Irvine Presbyterian Chinese Church, or simply as Grace Irvine. I'm encouraged to share that the Lord has been adding numbers to Grace Irvine. Four weeks ago, we initiated core group training on the topic of gospel centrality as the fundamental value of Grace Irvine. At the outset We had only two families in the group, including our own. However, each passing week, the Lord added new members to the fold. Last week, we had five families participating in our training. Some of them are sitting here worshiping with us today. We meet each Sunday afternoon to discuss the core values of Grace Irvine, and we ask the Lord to prepare us to serve in various capacities when Grace Irvine launches. As we continue to settle in the city and meet with more people, we ask the Lord to continue to grow our core group. We hope to start Sunday worship sometime in 2024, establishing a permanent presence and service in the Great Park community. We are exceedingly grateful for new life for this partnership in the gospel, for your generosity, and for your grace, as we desire to be a church that blesses Irvine, a church that plants other churches, and a church being part of a greater vision for Southern California and North America at large. That concludes my report. Thank you very much. Let us now turn to the word of God for today's sermon. The scripture passage for today's sermon is found in Philippians chapter, chapter 4 verses 10 through 13. In a moment I'll be reading the text, I encourage you to open your Bible, find your Bible app, or look at the screen. The passage is Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 13, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. It is a great joy to be with you today. It is my privilege to preach this morning. Before we dive into the text of Philippians 1st, Let me tell you about a book, a book that is titled The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment is a book that was written by a 17th century English Puritan pastor named Jeremiah Burroughs. I expect some of you might have heard of the name of the book. If not, I strongly recommend it. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment is a book that I read and reread, and most recently I read it in a reading group with a number of Korean-American PCA pastors. Every time I read this book, I am convicted of the discontentment that is in my heart, and I'm convinced that many of us are afflicted with the same disease of the soul. Today's sermon is titled, The Mystery of Christian Contentment. A mis- the mystery of Christian contentment. It is a type of contentment that is described by Paul in Philippians. It is a type of contentment that is taught by Jeremiah Borrows. It is also a type of contentment that is peculiarly Christian, but sadly rare. Before we discuss further, I invite you to pray with me, asking the Lord for his blessing on the exposition of his word. Our Father in heaven, as we gather with your people and listen to your word, would you speak to us? Father, we ask you to help us think correctly about contentedness this morning such that we will bring glory to you and be freed from discontentment in our hearts. Be with us today and sanctify us by your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. First, Let me give you a word that you might have never heard before. Affluenza. What is affluenza? Affluenza is a nifty little word that sociologists created by mixing two different words together. The word affluence means having a great deal of money. The word influenza means a highly contagious and potentially fatal disease. When you mesh these two words together, you get a new word, affluenza, which is a useful word for describing the problems generated by a rich consumer culture that has an endless hunger for more stuff. Affluenza is the disease of greed. It is a materialistic mindset that says, what I have is not enough. Getting more money and more possessions is the ultimate goal of life. Affluenza is a spirit of our age and it has affected all of us. At the same time, We read of Apostle Paul's writing here. He writes, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Clearly, Paul was living in a time that of great need or of little possessions. In fact, Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians church from a prison in Rome. It was around year 61 AD. Life for Paul at that time was very difficult. For prisoners in the Roman system, They depended entirely on outside support for everything. Paul was locked up and was in chains. He had meager provisions. He was certainly suffering and in need. In the midst of all these, he writes of a secret, of a mystery, that in plenty or hunger, abundance, or need, in whatever situation, he has mastered a secret to be content. On the one hand, for us who live in the U.S., who live in Southern California particularly, we enjoy a measure of wealth that is almost beyond understanding compared to any time or any place in human history. On the other hand, I am convinced that almost all of us share at least a dose of discontentment. We wish we had a better life. We wish we had a better house. We wish we had a better car, a better job, or even a better spouse. Discontentment diminishes our soul and causes it to languish and to dissipate. As a matter of fact, contentedness isn't what is native to us. As fallen creatures, I don't think many of us were born as naturally contented people. On the contrary, discontentedness is what is native to us. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. Discontentedness has been with us Since the fall, when Adam and Eve became discontented with their situation in life as God had assigned it. Our task today is to understand this mystery of Christian contentment by unpacking these four verses Paul writes in Philippians. My goal here today is not merely a transference of information, but transformation of life. My prayer is that this sermon would serve like an annual health checkup, except as a spiritual one, so that we can learn to be freed from discontentment and start to find our satisfaction in Christ, our Savior. I'm going to unpack this mystery in three points, which is also the outline of today's sermon. A Christian is the most contented person in the world. A Christian is the most unsatisfied person in the world. A Christian finds contentment in his or her union with Christ. First point, a Christian is the most contented person in the world. The first part of the mystery is that Christians are the most contented people in the world, even when we have little at our disposal. I believe this is what Paul experienced and meant when he wrote, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul was in a very difficult situation in prison in Rome chained to the sail, subsisting on a sparse diet, but he was not discontent. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. None of these harsh situations have affected his contentment because he was satisfied with whatever little he had. His contentment was not affected by his physical deprivations. This is a mystery that was learned by Paul. A Christian is contented even with little. When someone has learned of this art of contentment, he is the most contented person in this world. In the eyes of this world, this person might be the poorest, like what we read of the Apostle Paul here. But in the meantime, this person possesses the richest soul and highest satisfaction. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.8, but if we had food and clothing with these, we will be content. In the beginning of the sermon, I talked about the term affluenza. We live in an age that bites into the illusion that affluence will bring us contentment. As a result, I'm convinced that discontentment is a disease of the soul that afflicts all of us. Think of King David. King David should have been among the most contented men on earth, given God's promises and blessings on his life. But in an unguarded moment of discontentment, David wanted what wasn't his to have, the wife of Uriah. Think of the Israelites. In the desert at Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, the Israelites grumbled and complained out of their discontentment with God's simple provision of food and water. Think of us. Do we have, a, have our moments of discontentment? I believe we all share at least a dose of discontentment. It is a disease of the soul that afflicts all of us. In C.S. Lewis' classic, The Screwtape Letters, the older demon screwtape writes to his young and inexperienced nephew, Wormwood. He writes, We want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using as mere fuel wherewith to heap the altar of the future every real gift which is offered them in the present. In other words, Satan takes great pleasure in tempting us into discontentment and direct our focus away from the present provisions and providence of God. That is why the Apostle Paul uses the word, I have learned. I have learned in whatever situation to be content. If the Apostle Paul had to learn it, we have to learn it as well because contentment is not our natural disposition. Rather, it is a secret to be learned as we continue finding our satisfaction in Christ. As we continue to find our satisfaction, not from this world can offer, not from the future, but from God as who he is and what he has done for us, his provisions in our present life. Let us take another look at this text. In verse 12, Paul writes, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here Paul continues with this mystery of contentment. It is worth noting that his writing is rhythmic and balanced. It's very beautiful. He lists not only his afflictions being brought low, being in hunger, being in need, but at the same time he also writes of his prosperity. Times of abundance and times of plenty. It is understandable that someone is content when he is in material abundance. But why does Paul call it a secret? What is a secret about being contented in plenty? Let us come to the second point. Of today's sermon as we continue to think of the mystery of of christian contentment a christian is the most unsatisfied person in the world at first glance the second statement is somewhat contradictory to the first one christians are supposed to be the most contented people in the world how can we at the same time be the most unsatisfying people in the world Because the world simply cannot satisfy us. Because we learn from Paul that true contentment is independent from circumstances. Because the enjoyment of the whole world would not be sufficient to satisfy a Christian soul. This is a paradox of the Christian contentment. When we think of Christian contentment, some people will consider it as a denial of desires, a lower standard of life. If we lower our expectations and standards, we should be more content. I've met a lot of Christians who are content, and I thank God for them. But I encourage all of us to take a closer examination of our hearts. Christian contentment it's not merely a denial of desires, an isolation from material abundance. A true Christian being contented as he is, at the same time is not contented with all the comfort, health, and wealth the world can ever offer. I have to point out that the Greek word translated content In today's passage, autarches, this word appears only once in the entire New Testament. Paul here borrows this word, actually, from pagan Stoic philosophy. Let me tell you a little bit about Stoic philosophy. Among all virtues, the Stoics considered contentment. Being the highest of all, contentment is a central virtue of all virtues. For the Stoics, contentment described the mindset of a person who had become independent of all things and all people. Here's a direct quotation from a Stoic line: "Man should be sufficient unto himself for all things, and able by the power of his will." to resist the force of circumstances. The Stoics, in their understanding of contentment, had fostered a self-sufficiency in which all the resources for coping with life were located in the man himself. Paul borrows this word from the Stoics but transform the term with a new meaning. In a sense, the Apostle Paul is redeeming this word by rooting Christian contentment in nowhere in a man himself, but only in God. As Christians, a lot of us consider ourselves contented people. But I encourage all of us to think about this. Is our contentment more like Paul's or the Stoics? Are we contented because we have good jobs? Are we contented because we have a good life, a comfortable lifestyle? Are we content because our house values have gone up over the years? Are we content because We can maintain such a lifestyle that that we can go on vacation on a regular basis. Or rather, are we content because we have Christ? He is all we have and all we ever need. Not just the Stoics. A lot of other religions and even some Christians are striving for a type of contentment by lowering expectations and denying desires. It is an effective way to become more content. However, I consider it as a counterfeit of true Christian contentment. Contentment is by no means a human achievement and we can never be independent or self-sufficient, rather, The secret of biblical contentment is that we are totally dependent. We are dependent upon God, and we are not sufficient. Rather, our God, He is fully sufficient. Christian contentment is a mystery. On the one hand, we are the most contented people, even if we had nothing but bread and clothing. On the other hand, we are not contented, Even the whole world and all its pleasures are offered to us. Finally, let's come to the third point. To the heart of this secret, a Christian finds his contentment in his union with Christ. Let's read uh, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is one of the most frequently quoted Bible verses. I have seen it printed on bumper stickers. I have seen it engraved on mugs. I have even seen it on the ceiling of a gym over a bench press. (laughs) This is also one of the most widely misused Bible verses, because I know I will not be able to push 300 pounds on a bench just by looking at this verse. (laughs) People are misusing this verse because it is often taken out of its context. The context of this verse we just discussed is Christian contentment. Let us take a closer look at Paul's previous statement here in verse 12. I know how to be brought low, And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We have already examined the the meaning of this beautifully balanced, rhythmic phrase. Now, let us consider the location of this verse. Think of the fact that this verse appears in chapter four of Philippians. And in the same book, in the book of Philippians, two chapters before, in chapter two, we read of the most famous hymn of Christ. Christ being brought low and Christ being exalted. Many of you are familiar with the verses of Philippians chapter two, verses five to 11. has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I cannot but think of the connection and the implicit reference here. Paul is able to do all things because he shears in Christ's humiliation and exaltation. He's able to do all things because he's united with his Lord. Like Christ, who was humiliated, Paul was repeatedly mistreated, beaten, and endured all types of suffering. Like Christ, who was exalted, Paul Had also been called up to the third heaven, where he writes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It is not a declaration of triumphalism, but a revelation of the secret ingredient of this mystery. He can be content in all situations because his life is united with Christ. This is the heart of the mystery. The meaning of this text is controlled by its context. Paul is able to do all things, that is, to be content in all situations, whether experiencing abundance of wealth or languishing in prison. Paul is confident that he will be content, and he finds his strength and satisfaction in nowhere else but exclusively in his union with Christ. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that I recommend this book by Jeremiah Burroughs. He defines contentment in this way. Contentment is the inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and taking pleasure in God's disposal in every condition. That sounds like a 17th century English spiritual. Let me read that, that again. Contentment is the inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and taking pleasure in God's disposal in every condition. Honestly, I cannot improve on that. Now as we discover the mystery of Christian contentment, we realize that biblical contentment is not principally about denying desires, nor managing lifestyles. Christian contentment is all about finding our pleasure in Christ. C.S. Lewis wisely points out that our main problem is not, we, it's not that we have too much desire that we need to suppress. Rather, our main problem is that we have too little desire for the really beautiful things. In his sermon, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis writes, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it will seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Friends at New Life Church, let us learn to find our contentment in nowhere else but in Christ. To be contented in Christ is liberating. Such contentedness allows us to be satisfied with what we have, to live without fear, to love our enemies to be generous in our giving, to be other-centered rather than self-centered, to avoid resorting to such things as anger or deception or otherworldly tactics to control and manipulate others to get what we want. These things lose their power when one is living contentedly in Christ. Friends at New Life Church, there's one thing that I'm sure of. In this life, there are times when we will experiencing bounding prosperity. In this life, there are also times when we will learn devastating hardships. Both abundance and loss will pass, but Christ remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let us find our contentment in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have seen, contentment in this life is not found in what we have. We confess that our feeble attempts to achieve lasting contentment on our own terms have not worked. Please forgive us Help us, Father, as your people to transfer our pursuit of contentment from worldly ways to a life with Christ, so that in good times and bad, we are content as Christ is all we have and all we ever need. May we say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.